An absolute delight to read this psalm with the eyes of somebody who's got to say something about it. And it's a psalm about which much can be said, as I have discovered this last week. Starting with Psalm 120, we have 15 psalms that are called the Psalms of Ascent. King James called them the Psalms of Degree. And if you're into the Passion Version, you'll see that they're called Songs of the Stairway, which is really quite delicious. The pilgrims sang these songs as they were walking towards Jerusalem. So to introduce this message, I'm really more thinking out loud because something has only just dawned on me, which many of you may have figured out a long time ago. So I've sort of got to just muse as I mention this to you. Um, When we sing our songs of faith, we are singing future over ourselves. And I never really saw it like that until I began to prepare this message. When I sing songs, I I like singing. Um, It's getting less and less attractive as I get older, but I really like singing. And so I just enjoy the song. I enjoy the mood of the song. It's a lovely experience, and I love it then when I'm singing and I realise I'm no longer concentrating on hitting my alto note. I'm more concentrating on the fullness and the glory of God. That's a wonderful feeling. But the thought that I might end up further along in my Christian faith as a result of the experience hasn't dawned on me as a particular thought. But singing songs of worship, I see, should mean that we're actually going somewhere. Singing songs of worship don't just help us in an immediate sense of having a spiritual experience. They should also cause us, in the words of the second of these psalms, Psalm 121, to lift up our eyes unto the hills and then have a spiritual epiphany that actually our help comes from the Lord. That's what I mean by going somewhere. And when you think about it, it makes perfect sense. When army platoons are in training, and you would have seen this in American movies, they um, they kind of bounce along the road, don't they? And they sing this song backwards and forwards to, I guess, the sergeant. So I looked it up and it says, these songs serve the purpose of keeping soldiers moving in step as a unit and in formation. They're not just singing, they're going somewhere. Uh, Think about the songs of the slaves working the cotton fields in America's deep south. And when they'd sing those songs, we know if you've done any study of this at school, those songs had embedded in them code. And it told them, don't just sing the song, the song is going to actually get you somewhere. And so for the ancients, singing these songs of ascent, they weren't just singing, they were going somewhere. So what about us? Are we singing songs of adoration and thanksgiving? And are we also going somewhere? As I said earlier, I genuinely love the songs of praise, but many years ago, and I'm thinking it was about 18 years ago, many of you will know the name David Cartledge. The late David Cartledge said something, uh, preaching in a sermon, and it rocked me then and it rocks me still today. He said, and I don't know why he picked on the number 35, but he said, have you had 35 years Christian experience or one year 35 times? That got me then and it gets me right now. We are meant to be going somewhere. The songs of ascent needed also to be singable. 
which is why out of these 15 psalms, most of them are around five, six or seven verses. A couple are a little bit longer. The reason was they had to be able to sing them. They had to be singable songs. Um, There's such an intentionality when you see it in those terms. So let us read together. Um, I'm going to just trust that I get the right button. Psalm 125. Why don't we read it in unison? Are you ready? Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forevermore. The scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous, for then the righteous might use their hands to do evil. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, to those who are upright in heart. But those who turn to crooked ways, the Lord will banish with the evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. So the question we're asking ourselves this morning is how does Psalm 125 affect the people of Cornerstone where we have spoken over us for weeks now a standard of honesty with God and a desire from the leadership for vulnerability to be something of a hallmark of the way we do our faith here. And I thought about that for a while, so I need to just bounce into a little story. Many years ago, I taught at what was called Logan Uniting Primary School. It's now Calvary Christian College. And in those days, um, under the inspiration of a beautiful Christian educator, a pioneer in Christian education, a woman called Margaret McIntyre, the principal of the school, who's also passed away, Tim Rogers, who was a tremendous influence in my life, um, he introduced what they called the God-centred curriculum. It was a teaching style, a teaching method, the God-centred curriculum. And what it really was trying to do was shift teaching from a Greek style of, I'm going to use the phraseology, boxed thinking, to a more Hebraic style, which was more global. So I'm just going to put it to you very badly, and Margaret and Tim can roll over in their graves. But for instance, in the um, God-centered curriculum, one subject was meant to have some influence over another subject. So let's say regular schooling, we might learn about adjectives here and then the bell goes and then we go into a new class and we might do algebra, did I say algebra? Adjectives to algebra and then we might have the bell go and now we'll go and do art and they were quite separate subjects. Now in God-centred curriculum it didn't go stupid, you know, like we didn't have adjectives bleeding into algebra so A plus B equals C didn't become like angelic A you know, plus bountiful B equals celestial C. We didn't go stupid, but the idea was that we would teach children to see life as a whole. It was Hebraic style of thinking. Because I think the ability, and the upside of it is this, the ability to box our life up is how we get to sin. Think about it. Last week, Josh began by speaking of the burden of living with lies and carrying around secrets. But Graham has taught us and desires for us to be a congregation of people, a gathering of people who have a vulnerability 
to each other and to God. So what we can't do is have our, we don't speak about that, box. And a, we've got to keep up with appearances, box. And then over here, a vulnerability, box. You can't box up your faith. And uh, when you read Psalm 125, you realise that's what the Hebrew way looks like. Because in this one psalm, no boxes, in this one psalm, this is what the writers did. First of all, they glorified God and then they cautioned about evil and then they declared they had enemies and asked God to deal with them and then they embraced a blessed life and then they worried about people who'd fallen away from the faith and then they sought peace in the nation and nowhere did they tell people they had to get their attitude right. I just threw that in a bit because that's just, um, I felt important. With this Honest to God series, we have an invitation to rise above boxes and to sing our way into the future. That's what I see in this psalm. And I love the idea that we don't have to apologise to God for having our arms around such diverse thought. I love the fact that we can say, that person over there, you know this whole thing we've got now, God loves you but hates what you do, which I'm sure has a lot of truth in it, and I rely on that truth greatly to get through life. But sometimes I just want to say, actually, they're horrible. (laughs) <laughs> I'd, like to, I'd like the freedom to be able to do that and not have somebody get on, my, get on my case about attitude. But they didn't have it. Have you noticed in the Psalms they have no problem declaring something, someone as an enemy? They have no problem doing that. And I think sometimes we just need to, well, I'll get to that. I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, you can tell it matters. So what we're going to do in our Song of Ascent is break it down into four distinct steps, and I'm calling them, obviously, song. So the first one is the song of truth. Let me now remind you of the first two verses. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken. There's our key in this song that's going to get us somewhere. We cannot be shaken like the mountain, and the mountain endures forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forever. So that's the scripture. And to anyone who's new to the faith or young in faith or wondering, I want to say this and it's a headline, but it's absolute, I believe with my whole heart, the word works. That's just it. It's alive, it is true, and it works. So if the word says we cannot be shaken, We need to accept that as absolute truth in our life. Years ago, I said to my mentor, um, I said to the girls last night when we were sitting around the table, I realised when I wrote this message that everyone I'm referring to is now dead. And for a moment, that really upset me. Um, So my late mentor, Dr Lois Burkett, years ago, I said to her, what is spiritual warfare? And she lived by definition. She always had a neat definition to my questions, to answer my questions. I said, so what is the definition of spiritual warfare? She said, it is to stand. How good is that? You can all live with that. That's easy, isn't it? I don't have to climb up walls and scream and yell. I stand. And that's what I see in the first two verses of Psalm 125. We are not shaken. We stand. So now let's see if there's a really good scripture that helps us know what standing looks like. And I'm taking us to Romans chapter 8, verses 34 to 39. 
So it's worth our while reading it. And when we get to the yellow bit, we'll say it with conviction. Are you ready? Go. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Now here we go. Unshaken, remember? Unshaken like the mountains around Jerusalem. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And now to absolutely make sure we get the message loud and clear. 39, we go 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No wonder the psalmist said we don't have to go through life shaken. We can be sure, we can be strong, and that's the truth. So anytime we get unshaken, it's time for us to speak our tremulous response to life. Speak it back to truth. What are you doing? What on earth are you doing? You are unshaken. Speak speak truth over any lie that is threatening to unseat and destabilize our walk in God. See, here's the thing. Even at our most vulnerable... Even when we feel like a turtle without its shell, hello, they are tough times. Even when we don't know which direction to take, we are not shaken. The first song is the song of truth. We are not shaken. And his promise to us is that we'll get to where we're meant to go. Years ago when we were going through a difficult time of just wondering what on earth we were doing. We were in Canberra. Um, We had gone to Canberra with what we felt was a very clear word from the Lord. Nothing was happening. It's a story that I won't take time to tell. Um, I've got too many other stories here, but it's a long and good one should you've got time. Should you have time later on, I can tell you. Um, But at that time, which was... Uh, yeah, a good reason to be shaken. Somebody handed us a Jack Hayford tape, and it was about integrity. And his study of the word of integrity was so precious to us and so meaningful at that time. He said, and I'm, of course, paraphrasing, that when our hearts are whole towards God, we will get to where we're meant to go, even if we kind of have a little bit of a detour on the way. And that comforted my heart so greatly. And to this day, I'm absolutely convinced that if you say, Dear God, I want to serve you. Dear God, I delight to do your will. Get me to where I'm meant to be going. We will get there. God is not a tease. He's not out to prove whether or not these these ideas that God is testing us through devious means uh, worry me. I'm worried about the kind of God you've got when we have a God who's constantly just playing games to try and trip us up. The God above all gods is 100% for us and he gets us to where we're meant to be going. So we could sit on the theme of having a sturdy faith for a long time, but let's move on to the second song. And I've used the word temperance just because I'm, you know, 
helping these guys look good as preachers and we always start things with the same letter. Um, So temperance is mostly related to getting drunk or not getting drunk, uh, but it also can imply moderation. So the song of temperance, the song of moderation, the song of sobriety. So let's remind ourselves of the scripture. We're up to verse 3. The scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous. Now, quite frankly, a prophetic anointing would take that little phrase and do hours on it. It's absolutely stunning. And it did my head in trying to come up with a small way, a short way of describing that to you. But we're not going to hover there. Instead, I want to go to the next part. So I'll repeat the first now. The scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous, for then the righteous might use their hands to do evil. How cute. What a clue to us about why we find ourselves snagged and we didn't think we would. The New Living Translation says it like this. The wicked will not rule the land of the godly, for then the godly might be tempted to do wrong. Isn't that great? Uh, So maybe it's a kind of a young person segment of the message. I don't know. Maybe it's for all of us. Here's the thing. If we decide that God is real and the word is truth and so establish a great, big, intentional, we're going somewhere kind of um, attitude towards our movement forward, could anything take us out? And every religious thing in me wants to go, no. But then truth in me wants to go, mm, yes. What can take us out is the compromise that the world is constantly putting in front of us. So much of our current Western culture is an invitation to live a rubbish life. Let's just put it out there. The invitation is, you spoke of it, Grace, the invitation to compromise, the invitation to live a a rubbish life in a compromised culture. Let me tip that, that verse around like this. So as it reads, it's the wicked will not rule the land of the godly, for then the godly might be tempted to do wrong. So let me say it like this. Ungodness does rule our land, and we, the godly, are surely tempted to do wrong. It's just how life is. So here's a question. Why would anything challenge our truth that we can't be shaken and that we are more than conquerors? Why would anything do that? And I think it's the re- here's the reason that I've come up with, and there would be many ways to answer that. But here in 2018, I think it's because it's quite tough to tell the difference between a world spirit and normal, healthy, freed Christian living. I think that gap has got smaller. See, in my childhood, there was absolutely no question about how to do it. Women never wore trousers. We never wore makeup because that would stir up the lusts of the flesh. Dear God, we couldn't afford that to happen. Um, I don't think we could swim on Sunday. I I think I've got a vague memory of not being able to knit on Sunday. We never went to the movies. And as for dancing, oh, no. So we had very clear boundaries. Um, And so it was very easy. We were actually, as the Pentecostal Christians, and I'm sure the Baptists and the Brethren were right there behind us, we were more defined by what we didn't do. 
than what we did do. But then as the years went by, God changed his mind on so much of this. And, and all of a sudden, women were allowed to wear trousers. Now, for you to go, you're sitting there going, what? See, the thing is, back then, women didn't wear trousers because the Bible says that women were not meant to be robed in men's apparel. But somebody would forgotten to consider what they wore back then, which were dresses. Um, but never mind. And then all of a sudden, we started to go to movies. We were no longer in church at least three times a week on a slow week. Um, and then some Christians even dared to read the story of the miracle that Jesus did at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. And when they read it, you know where I'm going with that, don't you? When they read it, they realised that Jesus did not turn the water into Milo. And, <laughs> and, so, and, and so we now do things. And when my kids get married, I want to dance my legs off. Dear oh me. In other words, we have allowed ourselves to belong to a culture, to our culture. But here's a truth, and I'm quoting somebody else. Satan is an intensifier of human weakness. So what happens is we simply go too far. And once we lose our sense of temperance, our journey towards Jerusalem simply slows down and our solid footsteps become less solid. So if we're going to play video games, play them, but just not 10 hours a day. If we go to a movie, go, just not every night of the week. And wear contemporary clothing, just not in a way that's seductive and so on. And I think the best clue was actually Josh's message last week. As my daughter and I drove away from church, we realised that what Josh had delivered was actually, in a very gentle way, a very confronting audit of our life. You consider those things that he mentioned to us, having God in our budget. If you haven't heard that message, go online and listen to it. Out of Psalm 15, having God in our budget, God in our calendar, God in the tape that we play, and God at our table. Because if we get those things right, being in any land, and now we quote the scripture again, any land where the scepter of the wicked is aloft, we probably won't stumble because we've done a careful audit of our life. I could talk more about that, but in the journey of Psalm 125, it's enough to say that the caution of being tempted to do wrong is ever before us, and as pilgrims of old, as with the pilgrims of old, we must sing ourselves past temptation. Don't you hate it when you get a thought that you know is not beneficial and you set a debate going in your brain? I will not, it feels good, I will not, it feels good, and feels good wins over will not. Don't you hate that? Because that's just a whole slow step that day. Let's go to the next song. Because this is actually where we are going to go for our closing off time. This one is the song of trust. We're going to verse 5 for this. But those who turn to crooked ways, the Lord will banish with the evildoers. That is frightening. God will round up the backsliders, the message says, and he'll corral them with the incorrigibles. So here's what I want us to do, and this is again our vulnerability moment. I want you to put your hand up if you have someone in your world, someone you love, 
who has sat in this church or any church who's had some measure of a walk with God who has turned aside. Okay, so this is pretty much a full house. Keep that person in your mind. Because here's the thing, the thought of that person being banished with the evildoers is absolutely horrific. Do we all agree? I am more persuaded than ever about the truth and the power behind the scripture that says it's not his will that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And I've got a couple of stories that have taken place in the last 18 months that assure me that God has the final say, and if he can't, he is brokenhearted about it. I have a friend who passed away, another dead person, last May, and I've known him since I was 12. His mother was one of my intercessors, a godly woman, pastor's wife. He had a pastor, pastor father. In fact, men like Andrew Evans and David Cartledge said, it's even written, that this man brought revival to Assemblies of God in Australia. Time revealed that he was bipolar. And that, with many other things, affected his son, my friend. Now, I have to cut through lots and lots of juicy details, which would be very interesting to you, but not the point. The point is that he was regularly, not often, but regularly, in, paper, in our newspaper or in magazine articles, he was a celebrated goth, Buddhist, perfumer, and Satanist. Um, and then he passed away. I was sitting up in my chair that night, just praying. But actually, I really wasn't praying. I was just sad. It was just, oh, God, just so sad. And out of the blue, this phrase came to me, this day you will be with me in paradise. Well, I got so excited. I quickly sent that little, it sent it off in a little email to a mutual friend. What I discovered, and I didn't know this, A few days before he died, now unable to speak, in hospital, he indicated to his sister for pad and pen. And what he wrote was, there is a God. See, I reckon God had the final say. His mother had been praying for him for decades. God had the final say. Now, I would pray, and you all agree with me, we don't want these people to have a deathbed anything. We want a life that is lived richly and fruitfully right here, right now, on earth, so they can say, it's been good. We want that, don't we? But I'm telling you, we've got to have it. We've got to get our trust muscle up and going on all of this sort of stuff. In fact, not that long ago, I can remember, and this is when I say not that long ago, I'm talking in terms of weeks. I said to the Lord one day, just keep growing my trust muscle. I want him to be able to trust me with more. Um, One of the biggest challenges with this, the whole thing of the, you know, those we love turning aside and going to hell with the incorrigibles, what a word that that Eugene Peterson came up with. One of our biggest challenges is not to pray afraid. Don't pray afraid. Don't pray with uncertainty. It's God, you love that person even more than I do. And I will pray and trust and see them on the right side. I was talking to Tam um, about the fact that I was on Thursday Island some time ago and up on the Green Hill Fort, which is a very stirring um, experience to be there standing on the fort and looking with the cannons that went down the channels through the islands during World War II, protecting us from 
any submarines that were threatening to come into our, um, into our waters. And um, with each of the cannons, there is what they called a depression range finder. And what absolutely appealed to me what was written, is what was written beside them um, for us to read and to understand about these depression range finders was, it was a great advantage when they were aimed accurately. I go, absolutely it's a great advantage to aim things accurately and that's what we do with our prayer. We aim it accurately. We say, Satan, you take your hands off this one that at some point or other, at some level or other, whether rote and with some sense of just doing a religious duty or with a genuine intensity of heart, they said, God, I give my life to you. Satan, you take your hands off. Now, God, here's what I am declaring to you. And we begin to aim our prayers accurately because here's the thing. It's got to be a win. We don't want any option to that. So please hear this next bit with an echoing volume that while we are singing our way to Jerusalem, God is singing a song over these people. Here we get it. Zephaniah 3, 16 and 17. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. See, people who are no longer here, their hands are hanging limp. They're no longer raising their hands in sturdy and strong and fervent and honest worship to God. They're no longer lifting their voice in prayer to God. So how do we aim a prayer accurately? This is what I would suggest to you. Start to speak to their spirit. And we speak to their spirit and we say, the Lord God is with you and he is mighty to save and he delights in you and to the tumult and the turmoil in your soul, he speaks love. And one day you will get to hear the song of rejoicing that he is singing over you right now. And sometimes in your worship, you even start to sing a song. God will give you a song. I have been with the Lord long enough to know that he will often speak to me, even prophetically into a situation with a song. And I will start to sing that song over the situation. Be intentional and earnest in calling your loved one or your friend back into fellowship with God. And I was thinking as I was writing that of Graham's desire for us to be a Coast Guard church, not a cruise ship church. Surely this is a great piece of Coast Guard behaviour. And I was sitting at my desk trying to think how I would model that and realised I just looked like a fairly confused train or car um, trying to guide the ship around the ocean. But why aren't we those people? We are, we are on our game in saying, God, we're not letting them go. We will not let go the ones we love. And I think we can expect to see God love that prayer. We're going to revisit this for the altar. So just letting you know. And the fourth song is the song of triumph. At the end, and that's one of the reasons why singing that hymn this morning was so great. And I know, you know, we weren't brilliant at it, but I still think it's wonderful. Rejoice, the Lord is King. Psalm 125 ends with peace upon Israel. I want to take you back to Romans chapter 8 and verse 37. And it's the yellow 
No, it's not, and that's not the scripture. So we won't do that. Um, what have I got up there? Oh, yes, okay. Uh, no, in all, this is what Romans 8 says. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. That's the triumph that we get, and that's the triumph in which we are to live. When you start to examine these um, songs of ascent, uh, quite a, the commentators put Psalm 125 and 126 together. So we're going to do that too. Peace beyond Israel is not the end of the story. So let's look at it together. And think about your friends even reading this. So peace be on Israel. And when the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. And here we go. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. There's our triumph. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. Isn't that an extraordinary scripture? Triumph, the song of triumph. I just... Something gets under my skin at the thought of Satan winning on anything. You just get that just annoys me. What a waste. And what were we doing? Like saying, ah, ah. No, we are standing on two feet. We're standing strong. There's a lot I don't understand. There's a lot I don't understand. I can tell you that. The older I get, the more there is not to understand. But I will stay on two strong feet. And I will declare righteousness and triumph over every situation. We're winding to a close. Do you remember the comment I made at the start about the Hebrew Greek differentiation? When we come together, may it not be that we come with our professional congregant box in order. I can do professional congregant. I do it very well. I know how to turn up and smile at all of you. And then we sing the song of worship to God. And then we put our penny in the plate. And then we listen. And then we air kiss and we go home. It's my professional congregant look. I am good at it. Any brothers and sisters out there. But that's not what a Coast Guard vulnerable body of people are. So may it be that when we come together... According to Psalm 125, we honour God and we love each other and we are unequivocal about the strength of our stride as we sing our song. And may we recognise our capacity for compromise. May we carry the pain of those we love who've gone away from God. May we choose to trust instead of despair And may we declare the Lordship of Christ over every area of life. No boxes. Rather, we're a community of believers who are honestly singing a song that's going somewhere. Not everybody has to know everything. I don't believe that's what vulnerability actually means. But what it does mean is that we're not living out of boxes, but we're living out of hearts that, referring now to verse 1, hearts of people. We're people. We're like those who trust in the Lord. We can't be shaken and we endure forever. 
I told you that we're going to pray for those who have gone away from God. There are many ways we could have drawn this message to a close, many ways we could have had some sense of altar. But um, with Graham's permission, I told him I felt to do this and he's okay with it. So here's what I've got for you. Everywhere you see the yellow dot, that's where you're going to put that person's name in. And I've just picked out a few of the scriptures out of Romans 8. But um, just stick with me for a minute. Imagine every empty seat filled with somebody who goes, I'm back. Did anyone pray for me? Because I don't know why, but I'm back. Can you imagine that? Does that feel good to you? That feels an amazing thing to me. There are, there are seats here that in the spirit realm, they've got somebody's name on them. Now, I know that not everybody who you're indicating would ever have come, would have come out of this church or needs to come back to this church. We're not really talking about um, church affiliation. We're talking about that they land on the, wrong, on the right side of eternity that these people don't become uh, committed to the dark side with incorrigibles. Just imagine it. Never stop praying. I believe prayers are organic. I'm now 100% convinced that prayers we pray are alive until they're answered. I'm totally convinced of that. We can't predicate the way the answer is going to come. But I believe that prayers we pray... See, that, that man's mother, the man I told you about, his mother prayed for his salvation. And one of the reasons I was sitting up sad that night is because I used to pray and then she died. I did her funeral. And after that, I forgot to pray. And I was feeling kind of sad that I'd let, the, let, the, let him down, let her down. But God was God anyway. Your prayers are alive. You must not despair. My mother prayed prayers and the answers are still on their way and she's been with the Lord quite a while. Believe it. Be convinced of it. Be bold in praying your prayers and be convinced that God is listening and eager, not reluctant, eager to answer those prayers. This was produced by Cornerstone Christian Resources. It is deemed copyright and may be used by permission.